0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Most gracious and ever-living God, I pray at this time ultimately that not my word, but the living word Jesus, your son, would go forth. I pray in his name. Amen. So we have amazing lessons placed before us today, these portions of the Bible, and uh, there is a lot, uh, and you will be glad to know uh, I'm not going to try to cover it all uh, this morning, but but good heavens, this amazing story of the conversion uh, of Paul and the account uh, of Jesus appearing to the disciples as they are out fishing his apostles uh, and this Moment of reconciliation and restoration of Peter. So much to reflect on this morning, but one of the things that I would like to focus on uh, in particular are those key figures of Peter and Paul and Ananias as they are revealed to us this day. But I begin by asking you a question this morning, and we won't uh, linger here long, but what is your greatest fear? Uh, what is your what is your your greatest fear and 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 not only what is your greatest fear, but what is your greatest fear um, uh, of being exposed and I would say to some degree for for all of us you 're welcome to have your own fears uh, i 'm not trying to horn in on your fears you're you 're welcome to have them but I think for for all of us in some way or another, one of our great fears is that our failures will be exposed uh, and not simply exposed. But exposed publicly, uh, none of us enjoy, or enjoy um, public failure um, and exposure. And, and preachers get an opportunity every Sunday, um, but usually we, we fear this opportunity um, to uh, to have our to have our. I thought it was kind of funny um, to have our failures um, ex- exposed regularly. Again, it's because we want to. We want to look like we're together. We want to look like we're competent. We want to look like we're in um, control. And, and if not ourselves, we want our kids um, to look that way or our spouse um, to look that way or our, our family, what, whatever it might be. Um, we, we fear the exposure of public failure. And what I would contend this morning is this. Uh, I, I, I get it. Uh, I I understand it, but what I would contend this morning is that Jesus does not come into our best. Jesus does not enter in at our points of success. Jesus does not enter in at the points, and could it be that God comes? Could it be that God shows his love and his grace to us um, in our failures? Could it be that he comes to us in those places and speaks to us? Could it be that he comes to those places and calls us? Could it be to those that he comes to us in those places and he commissions us, not in our successes, um, but in our failures, not where we have it all together, um, but where we have need? And we see that in both of these accounts this morning. I, I thought I would share one of my own um, this morning. And don't worry, I've left plenty of others. Um, and this isn't, my, this, isn't my, this isn't my worst, but tomorrow uh, is Paula's and my 30th anniversary. And uh, golf clap. Um, yes, that's right. Tomorrow is our 30th um, anniversary. Um, and I don't know who thought this was a good idea, but I was responsible for putting the bulletin together for our wedding And this will shock you to know that I procrastinated. Uh, And then the wedding was coming, and I think it was, I really think it was the day before the wedding. Uh, And I was over at my parents' church putting uh, the wedding bulletin together uh, for our wedding. And I was at St... St. Morehub. was like, what's the name of our church? Um, St. Martin's. Yeah, St. Martin in the Fields. I was over there at St. Martin's, and I was putting the bulletin together. We were going to get married at Paul's church, which was St. Luke's um, Presbyterian, and so I had the bulletin together, all that good stuff, but then there's the cover, And of course, when you're at your church, you typically have the shield of the church or you have the particular drawing of the church that you would put on the front. A smart person, if they didn't have either one of those, would put a cross um, on the front. And I was not a smart person. And so, uh, and I'm really... I'm embarrassed to tell you this story. I mean, really, it's like it's painful all these years later. And I was tired. Um, So let me just say I was tired. Um, I was very tired. We won't say why, but I was very tired. And I'm putting the wedding bulletin um, together. And we don't have a picture of St. Luke's. uh, And I don't have the shield of St. Luke's. So I did the next best thing. Which, um, if you as you walk out, if you come through the front here, you'll see on our pulpit there is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Jesus is in the middle. And each of the gospel authors has a symbol associated um, with their particular name and their particular book. And you probably know, of course, how could you not, that the symbol for St. Luke is a winged ox. And so. Yes, it's exactly what you're thinking. So on the front of our wedding bulletin was a flying cow. Um, That's what I put. I mean, what a loser. I did this. I'm not making this up. I really did this. But you might say, who's the biggest loser? Because Paula married me. Um, So she's the one who actually went forward. She shows up for her wedding day. uh, And there is our bulletin with the flying cow on the front. And so, as I say, all these years later, it's painful for me to think about this uh, and and to share this with you. But um, we dread uh, being exposed. And yet we see in both of these that God comes into these moments in the life of Paul and in the life of Peter. He comes into them graciously. He comes into them powerfully. And in that we see revealed to us the nature and the character of our God who doesn't steer away from these but steers toward them. Paul, if if you remember back in Acts chapter 7 and 8, we, we hear that Paul was persecuting followers of the way. And in Acts chapter 7 and 8, not only do we hear about Paul, but we hear as Stephen who is stoned to death for witnessing to Jesus, for holding out the word of truth, holding out the word of life. Stephen is stoned, and as Stephen is being stoned, we read in the Acts of the Apostles um, that Paul was standing by and approving of this. And we read this from Acts chapter 7, and as they were stoning Stephen, uh, then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Stephen had called the people um, stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears and always resisting the Holy Spirit, uh, is what Stephen said to the people. And to some degree, that's true of us at all times. And we hear that they plug their ears, they gnash their teeth, they drive Stephen out of the city, and as they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen. And made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Paul, of course, uh, would go on and he would talk about how he was the chief of sinners. And he said, and You might think Paul was bragging, but Paul was like, No, really, I was the chief of sinners. There's always someone worse, but Paul would say, I was up there. And if God showed grace to me, how hopeful can you be? If God showed grace to me, how likely is he likewise to show his love and grace to you as well? Paul goes forward as an apostle of Jesus Christ and the hope and the restoration found in Jesus. But we see at this point in Acts chapter 9, Paul is not there yet. Still breathing murderous threats, still seeking out followers of the way, still enthralled with his self-righteousness and the power and the authority that had been given to him, and he's seeking out uh, Christians. And we hear, of course, we read a moment ago, you're familiar, uh, he is knocked to the ground. He is blinded. And imagine the public humiliation. Imagine uh, the public shame Saul, who had all of this power and all of this authority, um, suddenly completely and totally vulnerable and dependent. Here he is, a grown man that just a moment ago, again, had all the power and the authority in the world, and now he's having to be led by hand into the city. Uh, You would imagine uh, he is uh, at the lowest uh, of lows, and we've, we've had those moments in our lives. And we, we may have more to come where we feel um, bereft, where we feel as if we are at the lowest um, of the lows, and we see God not steering away from that, but steering toward that, uh, and the word comes to Ananias, and Ananias is going to be sent to pray for Paul, a, a vision is given to Ananias, and really uh, humorously, we, we see the response of Ananias, are you sure uh, the re- reports about Saul are, are, are quite clear. Do you want me to go to Saul? And we see this sort of very simple faith and dramatic faith simultaneously. What, what does Ananias do? He, he says, God, are you sure? Uh, I'm not sure about this. And God says, yes, I'm, I'm sure. And Ananias does it. And some ways, very simple and, and very profound. He doesn't know how it's going to work out, but he is nudged by God uh, he's guided by God, and he, and he responds, and he goes. And then here, amazingly, as Ananias comes to Paul, it would be understandable if Ananias had come into the room with Paul and stood at the far wall and said, basically, Saul, this is what God told me to tell you. Um, so I'm telling you and I'm out. Uh, that would have been you know, fair, right? Um, uh, God told me to do this and I'm doing this, but I'm following the letter of the law and I'm not going beyond that. I'm going to give you the message. Uh, this is what God said. This is what I feel, but this is what God said, so I'm just telling you and then I'm leaving. But no, we see amazingly that Ananias goes over to Saul and what does he do? He places his hands on him. I mean, that can seem simple, but that's profound. The grace and and the mercy. Here is Saul, not having eaten or had anything to drink for three days, blind. And what is the first thing that he experiences? The grace of God through Ananias. As Ananias doesn't turn away, but lays his hands on him. And what are the words that he hears? Brother. Brother Saul, is what Ananias says as he prays for him. And of course, we hear that the scales um, fall from his eyes. And rather than Paul um, trying to hide that which happened to him, he has experienced, instead of this false security, he's experienced real security. Instead of false joy, he's experienced real joy. He has experienced the very love and grace of God made known to us in Jesus Christ. And what we see in this and also in the gospel with Peter is that God comes to redeem and restore us, not generically, but personally. He comes and speaks to us. He comes to seek us personally. Not to say that he can't or doesn't uh, in our greater moments, but to say that he seeks us in these moments of failure. He seeks us in these moments of vulnerability. And that communicates to you and to me how deep his love is for us. (laughs) He's not looking for the most amazing successes in the world. God is not saying, I'm going to show up in your life when you've done well enough, God does not say, I'm going to show up in your life when you have it at least reasonably together. God says, I'm going to come to you when you are undone because that is my love and my grace for you. Because what we see happening is that God in coming and speaking to us and connecting with us in in those moments, God is not changed, but we are. Rather than God being undone, He comes that we might be restored. And finally, uh, quickly, we see this uh, appearance of Jesus to his apostles once again along the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, And Jesus has this interaction with Peter. And Peter, unfortunately, has the opportunity to once again relive his failure. And not only relive his failure, but to do so publicly. As Jesus asks him three times, Simon, um, son of John, do you love me? And of course, uh, for Peter and for everyone there, uh, completely reminiscent of his three denials of Jesus previously. But what I would contend to you is this. Jesus uh, does this not for Peter's pain and, and not for his shame, um, but for his restoration. Because what is so often or really always true, honestly, for, for Peter and for us is the naming of the thing removes its power. By naming it, uh, by putting out there his failure before Peter and before everyone else, it allows the light to shine on it. And that grip which it had on Peter is removed. The grip um, is released. We see that Jesus not only loves Peter, we see that Jesus not only restores Peter, uh, but we see that he trusts him. And he says, feed my sheep, tend to my sheep, take care of my sheep. God's love and grace so often experienced by you and by me and the love and the care and the grace that we receive from others in his name. Those simple things have tremendous power we see that Jesus names it again, not to, not to shame him so that it will no longer have control over him. He comes um, to forgive. He comes to reconcile. He comes to restore. He comes to um, commission us that you and I might not only experience it personally, but find the joy and the freedom of holding out that word of life beyond ourselves as well. And so what I pray that you will hear this morning is once again, The nature and the character of God revealed um, to us, who doesn't come to us when we have it all together, and and quite frankly, doesn't even wait on us. (laughs) He shows up um, on his own because such is his love for you and for me. He is willingly exposed on the cross that he might remove our fear of exposure, that his love and his grace might be the final word in our lives. And as we hear that this day, let us pray. Heavenly Father, you know us and you love and speak to us, not generically, but specifically. Speak to the hearts and minds of all um, who are gathered here this day. You know us and our needs. And I pray that your living word, Jesus, your son, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would take root in our hearts and our lives, that we might know the love and security found in you. Amen.